Welcome to PR for Humans with me, Mike Sargent, the podcast for people who want to cut through in business and communications. We're talking to those I admire most in the industry, hearing their communication secrets and stories. I'll be using some of the insights in my forthcoming book, PR for Humans. Please do reach out to me through my website, sergeantleaders.com. You spell sergeant just like the police and the army do. Or follow me on LinkedIn. I'm thrilled my first guest is Gitto Harry. Like me, he was a BBC correspondent, chief political correspondent, in fact. Then, ten years ago, he went to work with Boris Johnson as the Mayor's Communications Director at City Hall. Next, Gitto went to News UK after the company had been battered by the phone hacking scandal. After a brilliant reputational turnaround, Gitto took another big job at Liberty Global, the international TV and broadband company. His stories are fascinating, and you won't regret listening through to the end. I hope you enjoy it. Well, delighted to be here with, with Gitter, and we've just um, dived into a hotel lobby because we're both very busy people, um, and uh, it's great that we've got this chance to, to have a little conversation because you've done some, some big and, and interesting communications jobs over the past decade or so. So, so just bring me up to date. What are you doing right now? At the moment, I'm trying to uh, find work uh, for myself, ideally uh, not going in-house, but advising uh, anyone who needs me, uh, offering strategic advice and everything that goes with that, from preparing them for uh, speeches and performances and communicating better with their staff, but essentially focusing on getting the story straight. Because one of the things that strikes me is how many... Uh, comms people go through the motions of communicating without having worked out in the first place what it is that they're communicating and who who are they communicating to um, and it struck me with the last company I worked for when I joined five members of the top management told me different gave me gave different explanations what the company was and what it did there wasn't even a consensus on that so actually working out who you are what you do why you do it how this year is going to be different to, to next year how the story ends who needs to hear it um is quite a big deal and that's what i want to help people do now so it's telling their story i guess whether they're an individual if they're particularly rich <laughs> or an organization or a company more realistically yeah, and these, the, the idea of the story comes quite naturally to, to, to journalists and those who've been in newsrooms where the story is everything. You come in in the morning, what's the story? What's the story at lunchtime? What's the story in the evening? And it was a surprise to me that in the, in the communications and PR world, people often didn't talk about stories or they were worried to talk about stories because they were perceived as being sort of fictional or soft or, or, or light and instead they would talk about strategy and reputation management and, and, and these sorts and, of very corporate sounding terms. And, yeah. and decks and slides and uh, pie charts and all this jazz which can all look really impressive but more often than not in my experience it creates an illusion of activity um, rather than an outcome. You know I think comms is only worth doing if you're focused on having some sort of impact and having an impact isn't just about being in the press and being talked about but having an impact is using whatever tools that you can including press and media and social media and all the rest of it to change perception of someone and I've worked for you know Boris Johnson initially was my first challenge having gone from being a storyteller at the BBC to being the teller of his story in City Hall and it was frankly a case of he was a national treasure much loved but he wanted to be a statesman. He's now Foreign Secretary. So somewhere along the line, I joined him on that journey and tried to help through different channels uh, to tell the world that Boris was not only a celebrity, but a statesman in the making. 
Uh, that went quite well, and I joined uh, News International when they were widely seen as a family firm in a Sicilian kind of way uh, that existed to corrupt public life and, you know, hack phones of murdered school children and all the rest of it. And actually what it is is a journalistic organisation that has some of the finest journalists in the world, that produces the most popular newspaper in the UK, in the Sun, and sends, you know, the bravest, most profound foreign correspondents to Syria to, to die, as was the case with... Uh, the late wonderful uh, Marie Colvin and over three years the idea was to get people to focus internally and externally and in Westminster and Whitehall on on News International as a journalistic organisation not as a crime syndicate and then finally the last two years I've been working for a company that had no controversy, no crisis and no criminals but no story uh, no idea and no profile either Mm. Uh, so it's a case of building a, a, a profile and a sense of identity that was coherent uh, that was compelling and was told consistently across the board and across, in the case of my last job, many, many countries and continents. And when you're coming up with a story, when you're, you're really finding out what the story is, whether it's with, with Boris Johnson or News UK or, or Liberty Global, you, you're trying to find something that's real. You're trying to peel back the layers and uncover something that's genuine. Authentic. Mm. It has to be authentic. You know, one of the things that Boris himself reflected on is very early on, there's no point. My day one in the job we were having breakfast with Michael Bloomberg a hugely successful mayor of New York in his day three terms I think he is known as hugely competent financially capable has run business empires in different fields he looks terribly slick but he's a little dull now there's no point in the world trying to project Boris Johnson as that kind of managerial highly competent kind of global you know <laughs> TV or finance uh, company sort of executive it's not him it wouldn't work and it's not even desirable so it's got to be something that's credible that's in tune with the person uh, or the organization itself there's no point pretending to be something you're not it's going to make you miserable and nobody's going to believe you so the first thing i think is that it has to be credible and authentic and in tune with what you are and often the biggest challenge is telling the truth because some version of the truth, some idea that Boris is, is, is a national treasure but not a serious statesman is more attractive than the idea that actually, as he proved as mayor, he was a highly, highly capable statesman that kept all his promises, delivered everything he'd, he'd sort of said he would, presided over a successful Olympics, a fall in crime, a fall in tax, all those things that a, a dull politician would, would milk forever. But it was very hard to get people to see Boris is also capable of that, which he was. And so the idea of, of spin and, and turning something, putting a favourable gloss on something and, and manipulating people's perceptions of something um, is, is a dirty word in politics as it is, as it is in business. And it's also, if it even ever has been possible, it's not really possible to do it consistently, effectively now. No, I think the idea of, of helping focus certain characteristics that you want to highlight is is fair enough and and telling the story telling the spin if it's in tune with what happened has always gone on you look at Dunkirk if you looked at it from the perspective of a military historian the idea that you put a whole load of people on a beach to be massacred and then you have to commandeer little rowing boats to sort of drag them out of there could be seen as a pathetic military favor um, uh, failure um, but you look at the cinemas, you know, not far from where we are now, and there's films of, you know, Dunkirk and of Church, and there's great triumph. Mm. It's a triumph because you're invited to see it through a certain lens. You're invited to see it 
as a triumph in the face of adversity, as salvaging something from, from a, a terrible situation. You're in, invited to see it as saying something great about Britain, not because it was a great military success, but because it so showed great strength of character. So it's not saying that it's not true, that version, but it's inviting people to see what's happening through a different lens. And often the difficulty is in business. People are talking in numbers and they're talking in charts and they're talking about metrics and they're talking about analysis and they're talking about all these sort of hard skills of economics and finance and 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 something that seems very very solid and people like you and I are coming along and talking about stories and, and texture and how and authenticity and these very soft some sort of nebulous sounding ideas is that a challenge to 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 get get the principles accepted and get the buy-in at, it's at a top? challenge to make them appreciate that it's even more important in this day and age with your own staff with your investors sometimes many of them may be totally hard-headed and just want to see your annual reports your you know quarterly results the you know all, all the rest of this stuff generated by lawyers and accountants but for your own people for potential business partners for regulators or often politicians who need to look to electorates they need some emotional connection they need some story they need some bond some link something that makes sense you know there's no point saying you know, RGUs are up, leaves most people cold. But if you say we are the architects of the infrastructure of our age, we are building the tools that enable modern life to happen because we allow you to sort of, you know, FaceTime your young daughter from the other side of the world, then you're starting to talk a language that people understand. It's not misleading, but it's explaining why. It's the why what all these accountants and, and lawyers and, 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 and operational people are delivering, why it matters. Yeah, and having, having some sort of purpose, because ultimately we're, we're talking about perception, we're talking about reputation, and people want to, to connect to that in a deeper way, and sometimes in an emotional way. They want to feel that it's worthwhile showing up for work or it's worthwhile doing business with a certain, a certain yeah. organisation, whichever kind of um, stakeholder they might be. Yeah, and that changes what people need out of CEOs now. I think gone are the days when you could be some, you know, miserable but brilliant sort of uh, man uh, with numbers who just sat there and saw something other people didn't say and then grunted in a meeting and other people went and translated that. I think now staff expect their CEO and right through the food chain, they expect their line manager to be somebody who can communicate why it was worth coming into work today, why it's worth coming into this particular office today, not somewhere else. Why is it worth sticking around till next Christmas? What is this about? Where is it leading? Why you should feel good about telling your wife or husband or partner or, you know, friends that you've chosen this of all the things that you could do with your life. Mm. So all of this matters, and those who don't get it are going to look like some sort of hideous relics of 1980s Wall Street. You know, <laughs> they won't be able to recruit people, they won't have partners, mm. um, and in the end, they won't have a story that even the investors, because investors, guess what? They hear things from analysts, and they read newspapers, and they listen to the radio, and they watch TV. You know, you need to grab their attention and capture their imagination. And, and does it matter whether a CEO is a great kind of platform orator or is brilliant in, in media situations or, or is that quality of, of authenticity really the most important thing? And actually you, you can be quite charismatic in a different way just by being, being yourself perhaps. Yeah, most of them frankly are, are not. Uh, and even those who are um, brilliant communicators and I've worked um, with a few may not be communicating the right thing. Um, so it's important to sort of you know harness uh, and harmonise all these all these things. But you're right. If, if you're not a particularly good orator, orator, you can nevertheless get across that you care 
that you are passionate about what you do, uh, that you've chosen this path rather than the other one, not because they bumped your pay up or gave you more share options, but because you wake up every morning thinking, what can I do today to, 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 to take this business forward? Because what this business does matters uh, to the people who work there and also their friends and their family and people around the world. So people look for leaders to convey that. And, you know, I've worked for a man with a stutter who is quite shy, but in the end, there was a lot of respect for him because people knew he was for real and he cared. Uh, and he was trying his hardest to take the company in the right direction. And if you're an advisor, um, you need to be fairly close to the decision maker at the top, I guess. In the, the problem a lot of comms people have, and indeed PR agencies have, is that they're, they're miles away from the actual decision-making centre. I think where it doesn't work at all is if you know the grown-ups somehow decide what it is they want to communicate and then they hand over the tablet of stone to some guy with comms or PR in his title or her title and just say, go and communicate that. That's never going to work effectively. Um, you've got to thrash out what it is that you're trying to communicate and to whom and for what reason together. So you've got to be at the top table. That's the only way it works. That's the way it worked at City Hall. That's the way it worked at News International. You've got to work out what is the story that everybody believes, that is comfortable with, that tells the truth, that has a happy ending, ideally. And then what is it that the key player in the story, the CEO or you know, the editor or the mayor, is prepared to do to help you communicate that? Anything short of that. And in the end, you're going to sell yourself and the company and the individual short. And what does that mean for the role of agencies and, and, and contracting out a lot of this, this PR and media engagement work? What's, what's, what's strange, maybe paradoxical, is <clears throat> perhaps by being an outsider, by not being on the payroll there exclusively and relying for all your bread and butter and hopefully a bit more than that um, <coughs> on the one client uh, you can go in and you can speak truth into power and the worst they can do is say don't hire that agency again and sometimes when you're in-house and you're on the payroll it's harder to sort of speak the truth to actually be the awkward person in the meeting who says well actually I think you're wrong or I think you should see this a different way um, because they almost feel an entitlement by, you know, paying your salary month in, month out mm. to just have you sort of sycophantically agree with everything they say, whether it's right or wrong. Mm. And that's why I think that somehow, in some situations, being an external advisor gives you more rights, uh, certainly gives you more opportunity uh, to say what needs to be said. And if it's not going down well, then you probably don't want to work for that person anyway. Yeah, and... and you, you've built teams, in, in-house communication teams. What, 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 what have you looked for when you're, when you're, when you're building uh, a team to deliver comms? What, what are the key ingredients and what do you look for in people? I think one of the things I've, I've learned um, and would advise anyone, and most people probably get it anyway, is don't hire only in your own image. You know, the, the, the temptation is to hire people you get on with, that you like, that see the world like you do and bring the same sort of skills uh, to the table as you do well there may be situations where that works but if you are you know uh, very creative and imaginative and you love to sort of do things organically and free-flowing then your number two should be the most anally retentive <laughs> organized powerpoint obsessed kind of um, detail junkie that you can find uh, and what you want is in a team is to have a range of skills, a range of outlooks. So people talk about diversity in terms of colour and gender and all that jazz. 
you need diversity of skills, you need diversity of outlook, you need diversity of opinion. We often overlook those things. We paint by numbers. You know, if we hire a woman, then there will be a different view to a man. Maybe not. But you need a different range of views, different range of skill sets, different ways of seeing the world. And for every creative person, you need a sort of very organised person as well. And of the three sort of big jobs you've done over the, over the past decade, what, what do you think was the, hard, the hardest and, and why? Um, the hardest probably was just for the sheer pace and scope. Uh, was was looking after the mayor. Mm. Um, it was also the most enjoyable um, uh, and, and the most fun. Um, but it, at one level, it nearly killed me because you have the entire policy remit. It's like looking after half the cabinet because you have policing, crime, you have uh, the environment, you have transport, you have an economic brief at the Olympics. Um, and you're also handling somebody not far off David Beckham in terms of celebrity yes. status in <coughs> Boris. So imagine handling half a dozen cabinet ministers and David Beckham single-handedly, or with the team, but you're, you're the comms person for all those different people. It's a killer, but a huge privilege and a job that I enjoyed immensely and still look back uh, at with great pride and affection and, and allowing myself the odd chuckle as well. <laughs> and if you could go back in time to... Was it 2008 when you left the BBC? Yeah. Around that time. And, and, and I think you, you went to work briefly for a PR agency before, before Boris. But, but if, you, if you had that moment again, you could go back to your, yourself, having had this distinguished um, career as a BBC correspondent, what would, you, what would you say to yourself back then about the world you were embarking on? What I'd say and what I say to people, some of whom still come see me from the BBC now, exploring <laughs> yeah. opportunities outside, is that you are part of the same food chain you are part of trying to sort of explain something to the world and you are essentially a storyteller. You go from telling other people's stories to telling your story. You personally perhaps or the individual you work for, the organisation you work for, the company you work for. But essentially at its heart, if you're not a storyteller, then I'm not sure what you are doing in PR. You're probably going through the motions, you may be a useful part of the team, but somewhere in the team there needs to be that person who approaches it as a storyteller and the joys of being a journalist is that you are used to working under pressure you are used to critical thinking you have a high alert for bullshit um, you know what will not go down well and in the end you know that m the process of pitching to an editor and getting it over the line so that it's in the newspaper or on the telly or on the radio is very similar to the process of getting your story as a PR past the initial barrier which is the journalist it's only going to get past the journalist if the journalist is confident he or she can get it past their editor mm. so you have a head start but there's a lot of other things to, to learn as well and one of the things that, that strikes me and I try to emphasize to people is you, you need an opinion about the world you know, if, you're, if you're going on the media if you're, if you're leading a company if you're trying to do anything and get noticed you need to take a view and that's something maybe as BBC people we didn't come naturally to us at the beginning. We were all sort of on the one hand this and on the other hand that. But now I think the Cambodian-esque brainwashing uh, that rightly goes on, you know, <laughs> uh, cleanses you of all, all sense that you are entitled to an opinion, um, quite rightly to be shared, you know, with six million people who watch you on the evening news or whatever. But yeah, you hopefully, in in a lot of time of analysing on behalf of the BBC what goes on have reached some conclusions in life. If you haven't, then stay there. 
but I'd reached the point where I did have views and I wanted to you know, take sides. I wanted to be party pre, uh, as you say, working for Boris. Um, and, uh, and, and that's critical because the biggest shock, I think, in, in my first job, having left the BBC, I was in a room with Morgan Changarai, who had won the election in Zimbabwe back in 2008, but had been denied the spoils. And he turns round, having put the phone down, and says that was Thabo Mbeki, the president of South Africa at the time, says he thinks he'd like me and uh, Robert Mugabe to fly to Pretoria tonight and bash our heads together. Um, what should I do? And I was kind of, oh, that's really interesting. I'd love to go. And then I realised he was looking at me to make the call. Should he go? Would that help him in his attempt to claim the crown that was rightly his and to take over the leadership? Or would it not? Would it mm. sort of compromise him? And he was asking me to make that call for him. That was a baptism of fire. Yes. Um, and that's what's expected of you this side of the fence, day in, day out, to make the call. And there are no easy calls. If there were, you wouldn't be paid properly for, for making them. So if you still prefer the comfort of, of the fence, um, then, then stay on it. I agree. Gitter, it's been fascinating. Thanks so much for your your time and good luck with everything that comes next. What I really enjoyed about that conversation is how Gitto presents everything in such a simple and conversational way, cutting through the jargon and the corporate messaging to focus on the essential elements of the story and the people. Well that's it for this week, please do tune in again next time for the PR for Humans podcast with me, Mike Sargent, and do please share it with anyone else you think might be interested. Thanks very much for your time, goodbye.